Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, chapter 4. And uh, on the front end, I told you this would be a, a brisk study, four chapters, four messages, and uh, hopefully an epilogue next week. <clears throat> Ruth, chapter 4, verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he came to the kinsman redeemer. Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have brought, bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malin. 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 I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malin's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Let's pray again. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. My wife, um, when she married me, acquired a bird. I had a, I had a bird for 17 years, a little cockatiel. 
And uh, the reason I bought the bird is that I had been saving green stamps. And I went to the green stamp store and uh, they had all these cheap items and uh, they had a lot of cheap junky things, but the biggest cheap, cheapest junky thing that I could get was this bird cage. It was about this big. I thought, well, that's big, so I'll get it. And then I decided I better get a bird. So I redeemed these coupons and I got this bird cage. That's a principle of redemption we all understand. It's an old illustration, green stamps and all that. But let me say this. Uh, it dawned on me that uh, these manufacturer's coupons that you get in the paper and that we clip and all that kind of stuff, there's a cash value on there. And it's usually, you know, and it's always in real teeny, teeny print, and it usually says cash value, colon, one one-hundredth of a cent. You know, so even if you stole all the newspapers from your neighbors, you still couldn't get a Coke. Uh, but and I, it's so funny that they put this cash value on there. I wonder why they do that. Except maybe it is to employ the principle of redemption. This thing has at least a technical value, and then you can bring it to the store and use it as a manufacturer's coupon. It's redeemed. Well, redemption—the word redemption and the words uh, the word redeemed—are are thrown around, and we've heard them so much, especially if you've grown up in church. We sing about them, we talk about them, and I think that they're they're often just made a very. Uh, uh, vanilla in our understanding if we even understand at all. Well, here in the story of Ruth, in, a, in the last chapter, we have a, a wonderful uh, a principle explained to us, along with some other profound elements like, uh, you know, shrewdness on the part of Boaz and uh, grace. And of course, we still see the provision of God and the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God and all that. Before we dive into the story, Let's talk about this term that we've read the last couple of weeks, kinsman redeemer. Uh, if you were to look up redeem or redemption in the dictionary, you would see something like, uh, you know, pay a debt to retrieve something or pay a purchase price or set someone free by paying the ransom. And so a redeemer, as we know, is someone who intervenes and pays a necessary price to get something back or to free somebody from some kind of bondage. Now, in the Old Testament, there are several words that, that explain uh, the, the concept of redemption. One of them is in Leviticus 19, don't turn, but it, it basically it, it talks about paying an appropriate price. All right? In that passage, it speaks of a slave who has not been ransomed or given freedom. Like when, somebody, when a kidnapper kidnaps somebody and they demand ransom money. Now, that's a concept of redemption. Uh, I, I don't think you, you may or may not know this, but... Uh, uh, my parents owned a coffee shop in Chicago for eight years until Charbucks moved in two doors down and, uh, and didn't do them any help. Uh, but uh, they had this really cool coffee shop, and one of the first things my dad did as a gift to my mom when they opened this little mom-and-pop shop was buy her an antique coffee grinder. And she loved that thing. And she put it in the store window, and it was part of the display. And when people would walk by the gourmet chalet, uh, they would see that grinder and it was all very charming and it smelled good and it was so much better looking than Charbucks and everything and that grinder was there. One day my mom, neither my mom nor my dad are there. Uh, they have employees running it and everything and a man walks in and says, I'd love to buy that grinder for my wife and they sold it to him. <laughs> and uh, my mother would, would, did not like this at all and so my dad hunted the man down and shot him. No, he, uh, he hunted the man down and redeemed the thing. I don't care what you paid for it. I will pay the ransom price. He explained the story and there was a transaction made and he redeemed this thing from its captivity. 
Well, there's another, uh, uh, there are a couple more words in the Old Testament. One of them speaks of a substitutionary payment to make atonement for someone's life. Uh, you might, you would find that in Exodus 30. Uh, you make an atonement. You know, Rachel, I visited you one time and got a parking ticket. My first parking ticket in 24 years uh, because of that, your goofed up UT parking thing. They don't even put the meter in the lot. There's a meter like across the street you're supposed to know about. So I got a parking ticket. <laughs> and to atone for my wrongdoing, I had to pay uh, the substitutionary, you know, atonement. Uh, that's, an, that's an idea of redemption. But the word used here, the idea in Ruth, is the idea of a relative acting as a redeemer. The idea of a kinsman stepping in and helping this relative uh, that is in trouble. Uh, if you would turn, please, to Leviticus. Keep your finger where you are, but go left to Leviticus uh, chapter 25 and verse 25. <clears throat> Leviticus 25:25 If one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells some of his property his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his countryman has sold if however a man has no one to redeem it for him but he himself prospers and acquires sufficient means to redeem it he is to determine the value for the year since he sold it and refund the balance to the man to whom he sold it he can then go back to his property. But if he does not acquire the means to repay him, what he sold will remain in the possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee, which have, happens every 50 years and everybody's stuff gets returned to him and, and freedom is, uh, is given back. It will be returned in the Jubilee and he can then go back to his property. You see the idea of redemption there. In fact, turn ahead to, chap uh, to the same chapter, verse 47. Listen to this. If an alien or a temporary resident among you becomes rich and one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells himself to the alien living among you or to a member of the alien's clan, he retains the right of redemption after he has sold himself. One of his relatives may redeem him. An uncle or a cousin or any blood relative in his clan may redeem him or if he prospers, he may redeem himself. You get this? I owe you some money. I, you know, I'm not condoning Seinfeld. I'm not, I'm not suggesting you watch Seinfeld. Not that there's anything wrong with it. But uh, if there's a Seinfeld episode where uh, George Costanza uh, wrecks his father's car and can't pay for it, and so he becomes his father's butler. Well, you know, it's that same kind of situation. A person can't pay it, and they become the butler. And, uh, but a relative can come and say, here, I'm going to buy you out of this terrible scenario and redeem you. Well, it's the same kind of situation we have in Ruth here today. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we're, Tammy and I are godparents to our nieces. If anything happens to our nieces, uh, we get to pay for their college education. Uh, yay! Uh, you know, I'm hoping they get a little older, but, you know, but, uh, you know we're, we're the relatives that are going to step in if anything should happen and protect the interest of these people, protect their integrity, protect their, their lives, protect their heritage, protect their posterity, protect their family name. We're the ones that will step in and help our relative. Well, to the text here today in chapter 4. Boaz is not stupid. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, if you remember, it, it, it calls him um, a, man of, uh, a man of standing. Uh, the King James Version would call him a mighty man of wealth. And I meant to bring another translation I forgot to bring with me, but it, it, taught, it calls him a, oh, what was it? A man of, oh, it just de described him as being astute uh, and wealthy. 
Okay, a, a man who uh, influential. He's he is influential in his community. Okay, so he's Fred Smith. All right, he's got some some clout in his community. He's a man of standing. He's not a dummy. He's a little older. We know that because in chapter three, uh, verse ten, it says. Uh, uh, Lord bless you, my daughter. You see the respect with which he addresses her. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Okay, so we know that Boaz is, is older. He's a man of standing. He's got some means. All right. Now, he brings those smarts to the table. And I know some of the elements in here look so very strange and foreign to us in our culture, but let's just kind of move through them a little bit. Um, in verse 1, uh, Boaz goes up to the town gate and sat there. Now, you know that in early Palestine, uh, the cities were compact, kind of congested, and the gate was, they, you know, they didn't have a Roman forum where people would gather in a court and all that kind of thing. Uh, the, the gate was a place, I'll tell you, you know, we're building wherever it is, our, our new sanctuary. If you look, if you, if you don't go in there because we don't want to get sued, but if you were to go in there, you would know that there's this big sanctuary and then there's this big open area. And, you know, you walk in this big open area and you think, what's this big open area for? It seems like a lot of wasted space. We're going to fill it with couches? I mean, why are we building this thing? Well, the answer is, wherever you've got a big, huge area where people collect, you've got to have an area to send them. <laughs> or, or people are, you know, doing this all the way down the hall. You just can't build a hall. You have to build a narthex where they can, uh, where they can go out into it. And it's the same way with, a, with an early old city. They have a congested area, and at the gate, it widens up, and that's where people would congregate. And that's why the elders would often sit at the gate. And that's where that was a place where transactions took place, or accusations were made, or people were defended, or court was held. All right? So Boaz, he, he goes to the town gate. He sits there. He apparently, look at it, had invited this other kinsman redeemer. Now, you remember that there was a relative closer to Naomi than this guy, closer to Naomi than, than Boaz. And, uh, and we know that uh, Ruth kind of snuck in in the middle of the night, made a little marriage proposal. You remember that? And uh, he's going, hot dog. But there's a problem. Because there's this other kinsman that's closer to your, 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 uh, your mother-in-law that could actually has the legal right to step in and acquire all this property, take care of you, and tend to your needs. All right, so he, he, Boaz, smart guy, assembles this thing at the gate. So he calls this guy and uh, he says, come over here, my friend, and sit down. Uh, the King James Version is hilarious. He says, um, it says, ho, such a one. <laughs> now, he was not calling him a, a lady of ill repute. He was saying, come over here, have a seat. We're going we're gonna to talk about a, uh, a legal matter here. And you see here that in verse 2, he takes 10 of the elders of the town and he says, sit here. And they did so. All right, so he's got this legal proceeding going on. All right, uh, verse 3. He says to the kinsman redeemer, uh, by the way, let me stop there. Notice that it's the kinsman redeemer. Uh, notice that in verse 1, it's uh, the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned. All right, he didn't say, it's, it's, it's interesting that it's not by name. Uh, I think the scripture writer, uh, whomever that may be, uh, perhaps Samuel, maybe not, but who, whoever that person is, does not give us the name of that guy. And I think it's, it's another sign of, of some kindness on the part of God. I might be reading too much into it, but this guy's about to make a really stupid mistake. <laughs> and and in, the, in, the, in the context of keeping a, a, a person's family line intact and preserving the integrity of their name, 
it's interesting that the integrity of this guy's name is preserved. It's, it doesn't say, hey, Schmelding, come sit down. It's this, in fact, I, I, two or three commentators uh, translated it, uh, Mr. So-and-so or Mr. What's-his-name, uh, which is a funny thing to see in a commentary. It kind of jumps out at you. So, so um, he, he, sa he says to this kinsman redeemer in verse 3, here's the deal. Elders, everybody, listen. I'm going to state it very clearly. This is a, this is a, a legal matter. Now listen, verse 3. Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. All right? This guy, hot dog, a great business deal. He blurts out, I'll do it. I will redeem it. All right, but it's all a part of Boaz's plan. All right, and he's even saying, why don't you do it? Go ahead and buy it. I think that would be fabulous. All the while thinking, please don't do it. All right, but he's keeping his cool. And so the guy says, I'll do it. Boaz in verse 5 says, great. That's terrific. Now listen. On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Now, this guy's going, I know I blurted out, <laughs> it seemed like a good deal. I mean, I get the land, I get to put my, uh, you know, cows on it, I get to farm it, maybe do a little sharecropping, you know, make a little business deal, and I reap all the benefits of this land over the years. Great. But then the guy says, by the way, there's a little lady involved. And the guy's going, you know, I have problem making commitments. <laughs> and I don't know about this woman. Now, here's another really neat thing about about the Holy Spirit of God. Throughout this story, ladies and gentlemen, I have pointed out over and over, I've probably beat it to death, that the, the scripture writer keeps saying, Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess. Okay, she's from Moab. We get it. Why is she Ruth the Moabitess? Well, because Ruth the Moabitess is a ferner. And nobody in Israel wants a ferner. All right? But an interesting thing happens. In chapter 2, when she goes and she eats with Boaz, and Boaz sends some stuff home with her to take to, his mother, to her mother-in-law, all of a sudden, in verse 17 of chapter 2, she's Ruth. Oh, in fact, I think it happens a little earlier. Uh, oh, I can't remember. But, verse, but anyway, all of a sudden, she's Ruth. The, the Moabitess part is gone, and she's Ruth. She's Ruth, she's Ruth, she's Ruth. Uh, in verse 21 uh, of chapter 2, it pops up again. But aside from that, she's Ruth, Ruth, oh, Ruth. All right. Now, when Boaz is telling his story, <laughs> by the way, I think when Moabitess gets dropped, it's, it's an encouraging thing because all of a sudden, you know, the only time she's mentioned again is Ruth the Moabitess is right when Naomi, her mother-in-law, comes right along. You know, God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. You know, it's hopeless. She's a Moabitess. She's a Moabitess. Ooh, little hope, little hope. All right. So now in the story, Boaz is, is laying this deal out. And in verse 5, Boaz says, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and Ruth, <coughs> the Moabitess, you know, Ruth, you know, the, you, the, you've seen that girl with the fungal skin infection wandering around, her flesh is falling. You've seen her, I think. Uh, that Ruth is the one I'm talking about. He throws in the Moabitess right during the deal. And the guy's going, no, 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 no. Again, I don't want to commit. I don't want this. Plus, I mean, the idea is, 
And as the elders will say later, uh, may, may you be like, uh, uh, you know, may her womb be like Rachel's opened up and lots of kids. And, and this guy's going, college, you know, all of a sudden I'm going to work this land all these years and then i got to give it to these kids. I don't want this business deal at all. And Boaz makes a really, really good transaction. Now, uh, one, one last thing, just, just so we don't trip over it. Um, this whole take off the sandal thing, it looks so strange. Um, in verse 7, uh, one party takes off their shoe and gives it to the other guy, and that's the, that's the big, you know, there's no computer thing, there's no digital thumbprint, you know, it's here's my shoe. And we think that that's really strange, but think about it. In the presence of all the elders, here you go, here's my shoe, she's your wife. All right, Boaz gets this, he's going, <laughs> check it out. And uh, this guy has made this commitment for all these people, and he's got, it's not like he's got Nikes in the backpack, you know. He's got a, ow, 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 the, through the town the whole way home. Obviously, somebody's made some kind of transaction. <laughs> all right, now, it's tempting to say that this scenario of kinsman redeemer exactly foreshadows Christ or is a, is a type of Christ. It's tempting to do that, and yet, the Bible never explicitly makes that claim. But it doesn't take but a cursory look at this to see that there are some wonderful parallels to our Savior, our own kinsman redeemer. Um, first of all, it's no insignificant thing that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Where? 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 Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Now, is that significant? <laughs> yeah, Bethlehem. I'll tell you another thing. We'll talk about this in, during the epilogue. But, um, you know, this baby that's born. Uh, the women say to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. I wonder who they're talking about. There's, there's great meaning to that, as we will see. But it, it, all, it takes place in Bethlehem. That's an awfully hard thing not to be, uh, not to be uh, amazed by. Uh, secondly, Boaz was not only a kinsman redeemer. He was a kinsman redeemer. He did, in fact, uh, preserve Elimelech's land and his heritage and his posterity. He was not just a kinsman redeemer. He was a kinsman redeemer. All right? Thirdly, He's not just a kinsman redeemer. He is a kinsman redeemer. And that carries a lot of weight, ladies and gentlemen. It was his pedigree that enabled him to perform his role. Now, is there a parallel in our Savior uh, along those lines? I want to read something to you. This is a, don't, don't freak out. This is from Eugene Peterson's The Message. I don't know if you've heard of that. It is a paraphrase. Relax. It's a, it's a highlight. Just don't freak out. It's a paraphrase, but listen. This is of Hebrews 2, uh, verses 14 and following. Listen. The Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue us by his death. It's obvious, of course, that he didn't go to all this trouble for angels. It was for people like us, children of Abraham. That's why he entered into every detail of human life. Then, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, 
and would be able to help where help was needed. Now, in case that paraphrase troubles you, let me uh, find it real quick and read you uh, a beloved NIV. Uh, <clears throat> this is uh, Hebrews 2, verse 14. Listen, uh, let me start in 17. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And like Boaz, it's his pedigree that, that allows him to, that enables him to be that kinsman redeemer. He took on flesh. He dwelled among us. He had to become human so he could live a perfect life and then lay that life down. Something else about his being kinsman redeemer, Jesus. Um, you know, you think, about, you think about Boaz. Unlike the other kinsman redeemer, the closer kinsman redeemer, you know, Schmelding, unlike him, what was, what was Boaz thinking about? Schmelding's thinking about what? The land, the stuff. You know, is it, a, is it a profitable? Is it wise? A wise investment. Boaz could not have cared less about the stuff. What did he want to save? He wanted to save the person. Well, what did Jesus come to do? He came to save people. He came to save people who were sinners. You know, God did not think up a plan of salvation so he could buy a bunch of knickknacks. He is a relational God, and he sent a Savior to make redemption for us people who were in dire need. And the significance of the biblical terms for, for Christ's work of redemption is found in the fact that God is a relational God. He wants a relationship with His people. And the very fact that God chose to redeem Israel is evidence of that very special relationship that it existed. Let me turn to a couple things with you. First of all, go to Exodus. Chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, and we'll look at verse um, 5. Um, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to bring to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Now, in regard to us, uh, if you can get there quickly, go to Galatians, uh, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, chapter two, uh, chapter three, verse twenty-six.
You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all of you who were baptized into Christ. Have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Um, go to, I'll go to verse 6 of chapter 4. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the gospel message that God set out to collect up a people for Himself. You know, has nothing to do with our loveliness. If anything, we're a stiff-necked people. But He collects up a people for Himself, provides a ransom, provides redemption, and brings us unto Himself. Now, Ruth and Naomi. They're not a couple of 21st century gals. You know, they don't have master's degrees or Honda Accords or cell phones, anything like that. There are two ladies that are living in a very hard land at a very hard time, and they are hopeless and helpless. Naomi tells this to Ruth when Ruth says, I will follow your God. Your God will be my God. I'll be buried where you will be buried. Naomi says, it's hopeless. Don't come. I'm going to come. May God deal with me, be it ever so severely. You know, good Israel thing to say, you know. Invoke the name of the Lord. There are two ladies that are hopeless and desperate. Naomi is old. Ruth is virtually untouchable. Only a deliverer could have helped. Which explains Naomi's excitement when Ruth comes home with a bunch of food that's been given to her. Naomi says, Who? Who? Oh, it's Boaz. The Lord bless him. That man is one of our kinsmen redeemers. All of a sudden, oh, a rescuer. Because the only way we're going to get out of this is that a rescuer come. In regard to us, ladies and gentlemen, all humanity is trapped in spiritual slavery. And all we can expect for our wages is an eternity of death unless a Redeemer comes. All right. I've got just enough time, I think. This book is called Ruth. But who tends to be the object of the story much of the time? Naomi. You know, she's the beginning of chapters, end of chapters, end of the whole book. Naomi, Naomi. Who's the hero of the story? Who? God. <laughs> God's the hero of the story. You know, it's easy for us to get lost in sandal taking off and all these things. And what? You don't want to buy the land? Why don't you want to buy the land? You know, you, we get all in all these details. But God is the hero of the story. And lest we forget, listen to the way the matter closes. You know, Naomi thought she had heard, uh, reached rock bottom. She uh, gave God all the credit for that. Rock bottom, I'm bitter, can't go lower. You get all the credit, God. And guess what? She was right. But she may have been wrong about the, the plans of this God. You know why? She didn't know the plans. And neither do you. Neither do I. We don't know the plans, but we know something about the God who makes the plans. Look at verse uh, 18. Oh, look at verse 16 uh, at the end of chapter 4. And now you, you think about this. 
Naomi. She took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, which, by the way, means worshiper. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Now listen. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. But wait. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. That's not the end. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of, of Abiad, Abiad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azer, Azer the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliad, Eliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. That's where the story takes us. And in Naomi's lap, a year earlier, she had said, call me bitter, the Lord has done this thing to me. Now, she's got a baby in her lap. Little does she know, the extent of his being the kinsman redeemer because from his very blood would come the savior of the world the savior of this baby the savior of Naomi ladies and gentlemen God apparently is in control of it all and we don't know the plans we don't know the plans we don't understand the plans but one thing we do know, we know things about the God who makes the plans. Because, because he is who he is, the plans are good. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if he is your personal kinsman redeemer, has he got plans for you? Heavenly Father, your word is amazing because you are amazing. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's uh, baffling that you can take poor decisions, that you can take flawed people, that you can take rebellion and uh, rejection and weak and feeble attempts at faithfulness and good and yet guide a people throughout the course of history
keep them intact keep them under the shadow of your wing even unto producing the promised Savior Father we um, we marvel at at the tracing of names they seem so strange but they are truly a testimony to who you are and to your sovereign control over all you have made you are the God who transcends history you're the God who transcends our lives you're the God who knows us intimately and whose plans are good we love you and we come in Jesus name amen thanks y'all